0: It causes me pain. But what good song leading today. <laughs> Hurts me, but I gotta say it. And I appreciate the song selection and, and you being here. I'm grateful that you did make it up the hill and that you're joining us in this time of worship and that you will not come back tonight. Doesn't that sound awful. I hope you don't come back tonight. Not here. You need to come to the Fowler Center at ASU. We really want to urge you to, I know that may be across town for some of you, but we need voices, we need people singing, we need people to represent our area well because I know this is one of those moments when uh, people from the community may perhaps come because they want to hear good singing and this is our chance to demonstrate good a cappella singing. And it's our chance to be able to, to let them know that there are people in our community that love the Lord and want to praise and want to join them and them to join us. And so be there. Be a witness uh, that others can see. So be there tonight. You're going you're gonna to enjoy that, and, and we're going to be together with people of different congregations. David Gibson's preaching his final sermon at Grace Point, even as we speak, and he'll be there tonight. And that'll be his farewell, he says, although he'll bring some from Salem next year, he says. And so other congregations will be there, and we need a good showing from Valley View. So be there tonight and, and really encourage that. We're in Matthew chapter 7 here in just a moment. I've got to add this, too. The Inmans over here, Garrett and Caitlin over here, are wearing a shirt that say Mommy and Daddy. Now, they were in class, and I looked at that, and I thought, that's a weird shirt to wear. I don't understand why they're they're... They're married and now they're expecting. And so, this is a latest expectation of Valleyview. Expect latest. Anyway, just be careful. I drink bottled water. I'm encouraging you to do the same. It just seems like more and more people are turning up with children. So, uh, we just want to encourage them and and congratulate them on something really, really good. And so, that's an exciting time. Matthew chapter 7 will be in just a moment. you're at the mall, and there's this kiosk in the middle of the mall, and it's got this guy demonstrating a helicopter. And he's got this remote control, and it's sitting there. The, he's got the remote control in his hand. The helicopter's sitting there. And he starts controlling that helicopter, and that thing, just as smooth as silk flies up off its landing pad, flies all around the mall, just just inches above the heads of the shoppers, but just as glides as smooth as silk through that air. And then he guides it right back to that helicopter pad and he lands it perfectly. Easy as pie it looks. Now you want to try it and you ask him, can I try it? No, no, we can't do that. The mall won't let us try it. But you could take one home for 50 bucks and it's really simple. You saw how I did it. Yeah, I saw how you did it. I fell for it once, and I took it home, and I tried to glide that thing over the house. Two flights later, it was destroyed in a heap of junk. He made it look so simple. But it wasn't. Later on, I found out, he goes for six weeks of training to know how to do that and he comes into the mall with his six weeks of training, and he tries to convince you how easy it is, and you, you're gullible, and you soak it up, and you've got your heap of junk on your couch too after that. It's just like that. It looks so simple. Same thing happens for so many things. Uh, Abby watches a commercial of of these tubes, these long plastic tubes, and there's several of them. And you can hit them just right against the floor and it makes a sound. And the guy on the commercial, just as fast as he can, plays any song. He plays Journey. Don't stop believing in tubes. And it's like, oh, that's going to be so cool. And she decides to take her own money and buy these tubes. There's 145 of them stretched across your, your living room. From this size to this size, and you're supposed to go from this one to this one, which is 18 and a half feet away from you, in seconds. That commercial was deceptively simple, wasn't it? Anybody can play this thing? No. It's now a100 dollars worth of tube plastic in a closet in a box. It's what it is now. You ever done that? Fallen forward, it looks so simple. Needed to do some stuff at our house, and Danny, Danny Wallace says, Doing a bobcat's real easy. I'll loan you mine. You can try it. You ever seen these people? There's people who can do all sorts of things. Get on YouTube because they can do amazing things with a bobcat. You know what I did with it? I created a ditch where I didn't want one. It made a mess. It made a horrendous sound. I thought I was tearing stuff up, and I said, that's not simple. When you've got a guy who's an expert at it telling you it's so easy, even a caveman can do it, a Geico says. I really think that's what the golden rule is, too. The golden rule sounds so simple. It sounds like you can just take this and use it to make all the decisions of your life and you'll be right in line with God. The commercial makes it look easy. The video does. The person who knows how to do this. And the, and the, and the golden rule sounds that way too. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 sounds like a concise, powerful, simple guide for life. It's like Reader's Digest. I can take that scripture, and guys, making a decision about what is godly from this big encyclopedic book is very difficult. We want a Google search on the top. We want to say, okay, scripture, let me put my question in and you give me the answer. It doesn't work that way, and even the the golden rule doesn't work that way either, but we've all wanted to simplify what seems so very complicated. Rabbi Hillel was asked one time, Tell us the whole Torah, the first five books of the law. Tell us the whole Torah in just one sentence, just on one leg. Just stand on one leg and and tell us what the Torah says. And he says, what you find hateful don't do to anybody else. The rest of it's just commentary. That sounds cool, doesn't it? They asked Jesus at the same time, just tell us what what the law is trying to do. And Jesus said, I can get it down to two commandments. You remember what they are? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. That's the one-two punch. All the law comes down to that, and he does the same thing here. If you're in Matthew 7, if you'll back up to Matthew 5 for just a second. This is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount sermon. He's going to get to the invitation starting next week, but this is the conclusion. Let me show you the introduction. The introduction really... In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. And this sermon is his declaration of a fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And then as he closes out, he says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them too. This is the law and the prophets. This is a summary of them. And I guess the idea is that if you could If you could know the context of anything back in the Old Testament, all of it was this too. But here's what happens. People take the golden rule and they lift it up out of the Sermon on the Mount. They strip it of its context and they say, here, take this. This is a good guide for life it's like I can just distill everything down to this one simple principle and it sounds like a good shorthand formula to guide your life but when you strip it from its context it doesn't mean what you think it does take the Mona Lisa out of her frame you've got a trouble if you've got a picture and you start photoshopping stuff into it that wasn't there you've got a problem the golden rule if stripped from its context is not a good guide for life at all we must demand the respect Of the context. The context is what comes before and what comes after and the law itself. We're going to look at all three parts very quickly. The first thing is this what comes before the actual law? What's verse number 12 say? Does yours say so or therefore? Therefore, some say so. The idea is in light of what I've just said. This rule is in effect. Now what has he just said? He's just said when you go ask, and you go seek, and you go knock, God always responds, He always answers, and He always gives you what's best, not necessarily what you asked for. Our model for the golden rule has to be God Himself. There are things we go to God for, and we ask Him for all sorts of things, and He always responds, but not always as we ask. We may ask for certain things, and God says, You're not ready for this. This is not good for you. I will respond, but I won't respond with what you want. In light of that, God treating us this way, we need to do the same with the golden rule. Example. You have a young teenager, older teenager, let's say, who starts going AWOL from the faith that he was raised in. He starts forsaking all the things that you taught him to respect. And he starts getting in trouble over and over again. And he lands himself in some real trouble, gets in jail, and you bail him out. He gets in jail again, and you bail him out. And he gets in jail a third time, and you're looking at him, and he's saying, oh, I want out, and what would you want? What would you want to do? Do to him what you would want done for you. And of course the answer is bail him out, right? Is it? Is that the best thing for him? Let's use God as our model. Has God ever left people in prison or stuck in circumstances that were unpleasant, despite their appeal to him and cry out to him, has God ever left his own child in prison? I want a nod or a shake. Yes. He knew best to say to Joseph, no. He knew best to say to Paul, no. And sometimes we need to practice the golden rule by saying to our kids, I'm not bailing you out this time. Does that fit the golden rule? If God is your model, it does. This is not clear-cut and easy, is it? And some of you know this by another example. Let me give you another one. Your kids are knee-deep in drug abuse. They are addicted beyond belief, and they want yet another bailout. They want you to come and, hey, I just need a little money. I just need you to to, to get me out of this one problem right now. And you keep doing it, and you keep doing it. And in the name of the golden rule, you enable and you codependent this person right into it. I know people in here who are going through this right now with their kids or with their brothers and sisters. Golden rule ain't so easy. It's got to be understood in the context of God as a model. There are times, if I turn 16, ask me what I want done for me. Say to my mom and dad on 16, when I turn 16, you know, do to others as you'd have them do to you. I'd sure like a new car. Is that best? You just get freshly, newly married, and you want the big, flashy house. and That's what I want, Really? You've got to be real careful with this because it's not as clear-cut. And when people who are not believers strip the golden rule of its spiritual context and start practicing it or are expecting believers to practice it this way, they're stripping it. It no longer means what it did before. That's the context before. Now, what's the context after the golden rule? when he says so or therefore in light of what God's done for you do to others as you'd have them do to you this is the law and the prophets this is a summary of what God has revealed in his written word which means there's no way that whatever the golden rule would have you do it would have you do something that is absolutely opposite of what the word of God says you can't possibly come up with an answer using the golden rule that would violate revealed scripture already. But there are many people who do. This is going to be easy if you'll let me use it. Early church got a little bit bashful and shy and turned red and wouldn't say anything. I hope you're better than, I, mean, I hope you handle it better than that, right? You've got a date. Man, good teenage, late teenage years, guy and a girl on a date. There's nobody around. Their desires are flaming up. you got the hormones going. And you say to them, or one of them says to the other, I wish you'd do for me what I wish to be done to me. Do to others as you'd have them do to you. What answer do you think they would give to that? You say, well, who would do that? People do it all the time. Don't tell me they don't. If you practice the golden rule stripped of its context and, you, and the girlfriend says, the, the guy says to the girl, you know, do to others as you'd have them do to you. And I think their answers would be far afield of what the law says and what Scripture reveals. Be very careful because that's not a good guide if it's not in its context of Scripture. And there are some certain clarifications and very clear directions were given. Let's say this. In the Old Testament, you've got these weird laws nobody understands. We don't have their context. We can't possibly know what they mean. But there's this one that says, if you have an animal that's a pet or even a farm tool animal, and it's safe and it doesn't bother anybody and it doesn't wonder, you can just leave it out in an open field, it won't matter. If you have a farm animal that you use or even a, even a pet that you have and you know that it has a violent nature to it and it can get out and hurt somebody, then you have to keep it within a fence. Now that law isn't, is that law in effect for us today? It's in the Old Testament. Well, not really, but do you understand what the law's doing? How does what you have affect other people? And if it's possible that what you have could get out and hurt somebody else, does this apply to pit bulls? Yes, it applies to pit bulls. Now, I don't know how it does those little, those little pigs and why you can't have little pigs in Jonesboro. That's a little beyond me. I don't know. But the danger... This is an expression of love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If something you have could hurt somebody else, well, then you've got to restrain that animal. And if we had the context to every Old Testament law back there, we would know that every single one of them, no matter how strange they sound to us, every single one of them is because it expresses love for God or love for somebody else. Here's what I know for sure as a guide. Whatever do to others as you would have them do to you means, You have to pray for and love your enemies. That's doing for others as you would have them do for you. If if it's somebody who's offended you, if you practice the golden rule, you will go to them. You will not go around and talk about that to other people and stir up a bunch of hate toward this person. That's not what you'll do if you practice the golden rule. It can't fit. You can't continue pondering lustful thoughts about people in your brain and practice the golden rule. You cannot be unfaithful to your spouse in any way and still say you're honoring the golden rule. You have to stop yourself from being judgmental in your mind to practice the golden rule. It will never Give you a conclusion that goes against the written will of God. That's the setting. And then there's the third part, the law itself. Do to others as you'd have them do to you. In other words, in this situation, if I were in it, what would I want others to do? Now, there is one problem with this I'm normal, and everybody else is a little bit weird. Have you noticed this? I'm normal, everybody else is odd. So I remember one time, this really happened, a guy was sick, he was sick for a couple of weeks, and his yard got high, and I decided to go mow his yard. He got mad because he didn't like the way I mowed it. It didn't look the way it looked when he mowed it. That's ridiculous, but that's a person who's kind of weird. You mow my yard, I don't care how you mow it, I'll say thank you very much, I didn't have to mow it, right? But not everybody thinks that. How many in here? Let's just take a poll. You end up in the hospital where you're wearing one of those paper thin gowns where the back is open, and, and, and that's where you're sitting in the bed all day like that. How many of you want people to come see you? Raise your hand real high. How many would rather people leave you alone? That's amazing to me. You see, I'm taught in school, you know, if the person's at hospital, a preacher needs to go see him. I'm learning from people. I'd rather you not be here is what they tell me. I'd rather you not. Be. So how, is, how am I supposed to use myself as a judge? Because here's the deal. If I'm sick at home, I say to my kids, say to Melissa, leave me in the room by myself, close the door, let me die in my misery alone. I don't want to be bothered. Just leave me alone. You think well you want people to dote on you. No. Leave me alone. Now if I treat everybody like that, this is I'm telling you. Ministry's hard today because some people want you to come see them and some people say I wish you'd leave me alone. How do you know the difference? If I use myself as a judge, I leave you alone. But if I don't go to some people, you have all people saying, What kind of preacher is that? Won't come and see me. Do you see the catch 22 I'm at? When Melissa is sick and throwing up, she wants me to hold her hair and put a, a cold rag against her head. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of doing. Because if I do that while she's throwing up, there's going to be two throwing up here in just a few minutes. That's not going to work. And you, So she wants that. I don't like that. I, don't, I want to be left alone. She wants somebody right there. How do we manage this? As the early service left, one lady came through and she said, Just grab her hair and put a rag on her head. And I said, Mind your own business. How do you know? You can't just think everybody wants what you want. You can't think everybody's like you. Everybody's different. And it's a big challenge. So I've learned to do this sometimes. I'll text somebody and say, I'm going to come see you, but if you'd rather me not, I'll not. Now that sounds weird. uh, You should know people's minds. You should be able to read people's minds. That's another dumb statement. I've lived with my, life, my wife for 23 years. I, ha- I can't read hers. I'm sure not going to read yours, right? That's the truth. So maybe we just need to talk to each other, but the, there's, still some, there's still some things, though, about this that are clear-cut and I think universal for everybody. Despite the fact that we all think differently about things, here's the truth. We all want to know that somebody's thinking of us. We want to know that I'm being thought about and I'm being prayed for. And so you've got the dilemma of the last few days. You've got Myatt struggling for his life, and it's hitting everybody in the heart, and you're like, I want to run down there and help, but I know how chaotic this is. I've been in this spot before, and the chaos, and I can tell you this, when Abby was going through all that stuff, and all these people came, and all these people came, and we appreciated everyone, and I remember every single one of them, it got to a point. It got to a point where Abby looked at us and said, please don't pray for me anymore. Because every time we came in and prayed, or anybody prayed, Dad was in tears, just wallowing on the floor. It was terrible. And she said, just don't pray anymore. And you know, I didn't realize how stressful that could be. I never thought about all that. So as all this stuff is going on, I debate, do you go down there? Do you, as the preacher, do you even go down there? I know how chaotic that is. I don't know. And sometimes when people judge you, when they don't know what you're thinking, it becomes a very difficult proposition. Use yourself as a standard as best you can, but I've got to tell you this. Sometimes we've got to study each other to know what's best to do in this spot. I do know if it's been crazy at your house because of an upsetting event, there's nothing wrong with bringing food over to somebody's house. They can eat it or not. It doesn't make any difference. You don't even have to see it. You can bring me hominy and liver and onion, and I'm going to say you thank you even as I put it in the trash, right? It doesn't matter. You've done your job, and you've encouraged me and blessed me no matter what I do with it. So that's a winner. When we're down, we want encouragement. I think the text is the greatest thing in the world because without being invasive to you, I can let you know I'm thinking about you this very moment. That's one of the most powerful things we can do. I don't know always how to do this. And the golden rule, y'all, is simply not simple. It's not simple. You've got to think, what would God do here for somebody? You've got to think of what Scripture has to say. You've got to know something about those to practice the golden rule as Jesus intended it. And then you've got to look at other people and say, what do I know about this brother and sister? Is going to see them the best thing? Is there a better thing I can do that might encourage them more? And all this makes it sound so complicated, doesn't it? Ask what God would do. Ask what Scripture says and ask, if it's me, what would I want done? And then go do it. It's not easy, but it's beautiful and it is golden. And every time I'm at the mall and I see that guy with that helicopter, what I say to myself is, there's six weeks of training in that guy and he makes it look flawless and look at how cool that looks. And what I realize is, guys, practicing the golden rule isn't easy, but when you do it, it's beautiful and it's worth the trouble. And we need to practice this on each other. We think about each other. We think about the dilemmas we're in. And we do our best to meet the need that's there. This morning, I want to practice the golden rule on you. Maybe you've never responded to God. You say, You don't want to be God's. I want to tell you, I know what a lot of the religious world says. I just want to tell you the truth. That's the loving thing. And the truth is this you must repent of your sins. You must acknowledge the way you're living is wrong, and you've got to repent of your sins. You've got to name the name of Jesus from your lips. And immersion has to happen that your sins are washed away. If you haven't done that, that needs to be done. If you've done that, and things are just amiss, and you're self centered, you're selfish, all you think about is you, you don't think about other people, and you've got sins going on in your life that are unchallenged, and you've let them go without giving them proper attention, then you need to repent of your sins. You cannot continue the way you're going. And be right with God. And I would not be loving you in a golden rule way if I didn't tell you the truth. And there's a way to get rid of all that. Maybe it's between you and God. Maybe it's in, need, it's in need of the prayers of this congregation. Those are ways we're practicing the golden rule. And if you're subject to needing to do something to be right with God, this is a great time to do it. And it's not the only time and this is not the only place, but it's a great one. And I'm practicing the golden rule by telling you the truth. And now if you're subject to response, please make a move as we stand and as we sing.